I uh, hope you all had a fantastic Thanksgiving weekend. I, I appreciate everyone, like, like Nate said, uh, getting here. I know uh, a, a busy week. Some of us had travel, and so uh, it's just great to be together this Sunday, worshiping the Lord after a great weekend of being with family and friends. Um, it, it's crazy how quickly that this year is moving, how fast it's moving along. Uh, we, we are now approaching the Christmas season. The day after Thanksgiving is like, boom, in my house, like Christmas, Christmas time, Christmas tree goes up, all the decorations. It's, it happens very quickly. And this year, I feel, has just flown by. In fact, we are just four weeks away from Christmas. And this is the time of year where we get a chance to celebrate, right? Christmas time is the time of year we get a chance to celebrate the birth of Jesus, uh, the time when we were reminded of God's love and faithfulness to us through the birth of Jesus Christ. In fact, on December 10th, we will begin our very first Christmas series here at The Rock. And we're going to spend four weeks of this holiday season seeing how the entirety of God's word points directly towards the arrival and the return of Jesus. However, before we do that, We need to prepare our hearts for why we celebrate this season. During Christmas time, we hear Christmas carols and songs sang like, Glory to the newborn king and joy to the world. Why are we to be so joyous and happy for the birth of Jesus? So we need to take some time to really understand why Jesus came. So we're going to spend the next two Sundays doing that, preparing our hearts to celebrate this season, getting our minds and hearts prepared to worship Jesus the way that he deserves to be worshiped, not just through the holiday season, but every single day of our lives. And so that's what we're going to do today. If you would get your Bibles out, we're going to be in Romans chapter 3 the next two weeks. Today, starting in verses 9 through 20. Now, if you don't have a Bible, you can find a copy of God's Word underneath a seat near you. If you don't own a Bible, take that one home. That one's our gift to you. And you're turning to Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. We're going to put a, uh, a picture up on the screen behind me. Um, who can tell me what this is a picture of? Courtroom. I heard someone say it. All right, this is a courtroom. Right, this is a place in our judicial system where the law is upheld, Right? There are a lot of people in a courtroom on a day-to-day basis. In fact, so I have, we have some, some lawyers and attorneys in here who spend a lot of their time in a courtroom. Right, you have a judge in the courtroom. You have the attorneys, of course. But the key person in the courtroom besides the judge is the defendant. Right, the defendant is the reason why that they're there in the courtroom. Right, the defendant is the person in court who is accused of committing a crime. This defendant goes before a judge to either be convicted of the crime or exonerated from it. Of course, this all depends on if they're guilty of the crime or not. If they're guilty of the crime that they're being accused of. I think we can all agree, whether or not we've, we've ever been accused of committing a crime, I think we can all agree that being in the defendant's chair is not the place we want to find ourselves, right? If we're a defendant in a court case, it means that we are being accused of wrongdoing, right? accused of committing a crime. And if we're in that position, right, we know we got a problem, right? especially if we know that we're guilty. Right? If we're guilty, 
And we know that there's punishment coming for a law that we broke. We know that we have a problem. If we're a defendant and we're guilty, we have to come to terms with the fact that we have an issue. We have a problem. We're in a bad position. We're in a bad spot. So as we dive into the text this morning, we too are going to come to the realization that when it comes to following God's law, we all find ourselves in the defendant's seat. And we all will find ourselves guilty of the crime that we've committed. So as we open up Romans chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is going to show us an overarching big idea, and that is this. We all must realize that we have a sin problem. And because of this sin problem, we must come to terms with three facts that the text is going to show us this morning. And these three facts are this. We are all guilty of sin. We are all held accountable for sin, and we alone cannot defeat our sin. So those three facts is what we're going to dig into this morning, those three facts of sin. Before we do this, however, I want to take a brief moment to give us some context of the book of Romans, right? Anytime we open a book here at The Rock, anytime we open up the Bible, we like to get a good basis of context of why the the, the words on the page are being written and who they're being written to. So I want to take a few moments here and just give us some context of this letter that Paul is writing to Rome. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church that had been planted in Rome. And Paul wrote this letter to the church because there were some disagreements between the people in the church. And the reason that there was dissension between the people is because the church in Rome was primarily made up with both Jews and Gentiles. All right, you might see in your Bible that word Gentile translated into the word Greeks. It just means Gentile. And what Gentile means is anyone who's not a Jew. So we have a church in Rome full of Jews and non-Jews, and they're clashing. These two groups, the Jews and Gentiles, are split on how they are to live this new life in Christ. Right, the Jews are trying to get the Gentile believers to live by the Old Testament law, right, the law of Moses, where they need to be circumcised and eat a kosher diet and sacrifice animals for their sins and, and live according to the law. Right, these Jews are pushing this works-based salvation on the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are pushing back, saying, well, no, we're, we're saved by the blood of Christ. In fact, you killed your Messiah. Why, why would we listen to you? So you have Jews saying that our way is better, that we have to live by the law, that we have to be saved by the law, by being righteous, by living by the law. And the Gentiles are following the commands and teachings of Paul and the rest of the apostles, and they're clashing. Right? This whole thing in Rome is becoming a mess. So the apostle Paul steps in to settle this disagreement. And that's what we're going to pick up here in chapter 3 and verse 9. All right, Paul's going to show both Jew and Gentile that the ground is level at the foot of the cross, that neither group is capable of living a life acceptable to the Lord. And that's what we're going to pick up here. If you would read with me, starting here in verses 9 through 18, Paul says this, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jew and Greek or Gentile, are under sin. 
as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive, the venom of ass is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace, they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So here Paul shows us our first problem. Our first point this morning, we are all guilty of sin. He says, as he opens up verse 9, both Jews and Greeks are under sin. None is righteous, not one. All right, the Bible states here that we are all under sin. We are all sinful. Now, we try to live the best life we can, but we all sin. Now, you may be sitting in this room today and thinking to yourself, as I say that, I, I don't sin. I'm a good person. I don't, I don't sin. I don't have a sin problem. Well, let me ask you, have you ever lied? Have you ever cheated or stolen anything? Have you ever lusted or coveted another's possessions? Have you ever wanted or desired something that someone else had? And if you've done those things, according to God's word, you've committed a sin. Right? You've sinned. We've all fallen to sin in our lives. I think if we investigate, if we look inward at our lives, we could all say, we will all say, that we have all fallen short and sinned. All of us are guilty of sin. In fact, look what Paul does here in verses 10 through 18. He begins to rupture, oh, I'm sorry, reference scripture from the Old Testament, showing the, these, these Jews and these Greeks the sinfulness of man throughout time. The statement Paul makes in verse 10 came from a line that David wrote in Psalm chapter 14, where King David stated this in verses 1 through 3, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. So David here, I'm sorry, Paul here is pulling facts out of the Old Testament, out of the history book of the Jews, and outing all the depravity of man throughout time. He's giving historical data to the sinful ways of man. So he's looking back, he's saying, listen, we are not good. Right? Even with the law, we are not good. We have done horrible things. Right? If you read the Old Testament, it's just defiance after defiance after defiance throughout the entire Old Testament. And we can see the same sins that Paul is referencing to here today in our time, can't we? Right, it says here that man uses his tongue to deceive. Now we still do that. And we can find that all in our world today. That mankind uses lies to deceive and lead people astray. He says our feet are swift to shed blood. We live in a violent world today, full of shootings and, and, and robberies and, and wars. 
Wars rage on all around us for many different reasons. He says that we don't always fear God. In fact, many don't fear God at all. We live in a society today where not a lot of people fear the Lord. People all over the world purposely defy the Lord and purposely commit evil acts. Right? The point here is that we, were, we are all capable and all do commit sin. We are no different when it comes to our sin than the people that Paul is addressing here in Rome. Today, both Jew and Gentile, Christian or atheist, we are all guilty of sin. What Paul is doing here is showing both these different ideologies that neither one of them is good, that both fall short of the righteousness they need to please the Lord. Their standard of righteous living is lacking because neither one of them are righteous. Again, he says, no one is righteous. No one does good, not one person. We're all guilty of sin. And that's the first thing we have to accept today. As human beings sitting in these seats today, we have a problem. It's a sin problem. We are all guilty of sin. But Paul doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just say that we're all guilty of sin. Look what he says next in verse 19. Read with me in chapter 3, verse 19. He says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. The second issue we have is that we are all held accountable to our sin. Paul here is piggybacking off of a statement that he made in Romans chapter 2. In verses 11 and 12 of Romans chapter 2, Paul said this, For God shows no partiality, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. There he's talking about Gentiles. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Again, the Apostle Paul is speaking to his original audience, explaining to them how both Jew and Gentile are held accountable to the law, which they both fall short of. The law, again, was given to the Jews through Moses. You'll hear it called the Mosaic Law. And if the Jews followed that law to perfection, they could obtain righteousness. But really, as we're about to find out, the law didn't help the Jews obtain righteousness, but instead showed them just how sinful they were because they weren't able to follow the law adequately. And the Gentiles don't have the law, right? They're not Jews. They weren't given the law. So they are doomed without the law. The only way to, to be righteous is to follow the law. If you don't have the law, how can you follow it? So overall, what Paul is stating here is that all mankind whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, are held accountable to God's law. It's just like if we commit a crime today. If we are held accountable, all of us, to the Indiana laws or to the federal laws of the government of the United States, all of us are. doesn't matter what nationality we are or how moral we think we are or what religion we are. If we commit a crime in Indiana, we are held accountable to the laws that rule over this place the place that we committed the crime. Well, the law of God applies to all of us as well. 
God is the creator of us and he reigns over us. We are all under his rule. We are all held accountable to his just rule. Now, there are some some lies you may hear out in the world about being held accountable for our sin. One of them that I hear frequently out in the world as I have conversations with people who don't know Jesus, who don't know the word, they'll say things like, I just have to be a good person. I just got to be good, and I'm good. If I'm a good person, that will make me right with God. You know, I'll go to heaven if I'm just a good person. Good people don't get punished. Well, Paul just told us that that no one is good. He just said it. No one is good, not one. And we are all living under sin. We are all sinning. We're all making mistakes. No one is good. According to God's standard for righteousness, we all fall short of good. The Bible tells us that we are held accountable under God's standard, not man's standard of good, God's standard of good, which I can promise you, and the word will tell you, is much higher than man's standard for what is good and what is righteous. And when we are held accountable to the law, to God's law, we are responsible for the punishment for falling short of that law. That law, that, 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 that sin that we are committing, when we sin, we fall short of God's righteousness. So what does God's law say the punishment is for our sin? All right, we all know now from Paul's words here that we are all guilty of sin. We all fall short. But what's the punishment of that? Well, Paul tells us in Romans 6.23, in the first part of Romans 6.23, Paul says this, for the wages of sin is death. Very straightforward. The wages of sin is death. Right? The payment for our sin is eternal, is eternal death. Right? We break God's law when we sin, and the fine we must pay for breaking God's law is our eternal life. It's death. It's a death sentence. Right? We need to understand that. Right? If, if you're in this room and maybe... Maybe someone brought you here this morning. Maybe you were with family for Thanksgiving and they brought you to church. You don't know Jesus and you don't know anything about what's going on in this book. Understand this. If you sin under God's law, you're dead. The punishment of your sin, the wages of your sin is death. I know that's heavy this morning, right? You came to a nice Thanksgiving service. It's the truth. You have to hear the truth. We are dead in our sin and in our trespasses. And if we keep reading into verse 20, it doesn't get any better for us. Get our our eyes, look with me at what Paul says here in verse 20. He says this, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Paul says in verse 20, the final issue we have. And it is that we alone cannot defeat our sin. So he stated that we are guilty of sin, all of us. Every single one of us is guilty of sin. We're held accountable for our sin, and there's nothing we can do to beat it. 
Now, we just spoke about this briefly. Paul's saying, because we are all guilty of sin, we all live under sin, we are incapable of attaining righteousness through the law. Because the law only shows us how sinful we are. It's a huge circle. The law was given to us to be perfect, given to the Jews to be perfect. And here Paul's telling them, you've had ages, Old Testament ages, to fulfill righteousness. You cannot do it. You can't fulfill the law because you are sinful. You are living under sin. The law only shows us that we are sinners. Theologian Douglas Moo stated this very simply in one sentence. He said this, The fact that all people are under sin's power means that no person can ever obey God's law sufficiently as to merit a right standing before him. And when it comes to obtaining righteousness, to getting right with God by our own following of his law, we fall short every single time. We live under sin. We are sinful. We are guilty. We can't do it. Right? We cannot beat our own sin alone. We can't do it. So what does this all mean? Right, what does it all mean? We can't, we can't beat our sin. We're guilty of sin. What, 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 where's this all come together? Well, it means, mankind, that we have a problem. All right, and the first step is to acknowledge that we have a problem. Right, we have a sin issue. The Bible showed us today three major truths that should send a shiver up our spine. Right, open your ears and hear these truths. The Bible told us today we aren't right with God. We can't get right with God on our own. And the penalty for not being right with God is death. It's a death sentence. Right, we have no defense in this case against us. Right, we're the defendant in this case. We have no defense. We stand guilty as charged. And if the book of Romans were to stop right here, we would all be doomed. We would all be headed for hell. Me, you, everyone in the church down the road, we would all be doomed. All of us. We are guilty and we are helpless. We are just standing around waiting for the gavel to fall. Waiting for that death sentence to be enacted. We need a rescuer. We have a need as mankind. We need for someone to come and save us from the death that we deserve. We're all guilty. We deserve this death. Amen? We're all guilty. We all have sinned. We've all broken God's law. We need to be saved. There's nothing we can do on our own. The Bible tells us we need a Savior, and the Bible tells us that that Savior is Jesus. And that is why we celebrate his birth. Right? That is why the Christmas season exists, for no other reason other than the fact that a Savior has been born. Right? we got to prepare our hearts for that right now, for as we enter into this December season that comes around every single year, a Savior has been born, and we have a need for a Savior. Our Savior has been born. The one who was sent to rescue us from our sin and death has come. He has arrived. And we are standing in, in an eternal courtroom. I understand that's exactly what Jesus did was save us. 
Right? He rescued us from a death that we were guilty of. Again, we're standing in an eternal courtroom in front of God, the most righteous judge. And we as a defendant are guilty as charged. And just before we are to be sentenced to death for our sins, Jesus steps in front of us and says, though I am innocent of sin, I will take on the death sentence for man. He was perfect. He was sinless, without spot or blemish. And he took on our sin out of his love for us. He took on our sin. He took on our death sentence on the cross so we could obtain this righteousness. We can't obtain it through the law on our own. Only through the blood of Jesus can we obtain righteousness so that we can be in right standing with God. And all we have to do is believe. I believe in Jesus. Have faith in the fact that he was sinless, that he took on our sin, that he gave us eternal life, that he died on the cross for our sins, and that he rose from the dead to defeat sin and death so that we could live eternally through him. You'll hear that he was the propitiation for our sin. He paid the price that was due. Our wage of sin is death, and Jesus paid our fine. All we have to do is accept it. It's our faith in Jesus and for what he did for us that saves us. Paul says in Romans 5.1, we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It's not our own goodness. It's not our own following of the law. We know from God's word that we aren't good enough, that we can't obtain righteousness through following the law. The only way we obtain righteousness is through our faith in Jesus. So if you're in this room today and you have not placed your faith in Jesus, I plead with you. See that you have a sin problem. Just like the rest of us, you have a sin problem. And without Jesus, you're dead. But you can be made alive. You have access to eternal life. You do not have to die eternally. Because the Savior of the world was born. And he walked a perfect and sinless life and gave up his life for you. He hung on the cross for you. He took on your sin. He took on your death so that you could be seen as righteous so that you would not have to. I place your faith in Jesus today. And if you're here today and you've, you've been a follower of Christ for a long time, right? you've placed your faith in Jesus already, let this text in Romans 3 be a reminder to you. This is why we celebrate this holiday season. Get your hearts and minds set on this. We celebrate the birth of Jesus because he is our savior and we need him desperately. Without Jesus, we are dead. Our savior has been born and this is why we celebrate. And if it weren't for this birth that the Bible tells us about, There would be no reason to celebrate at all. 
December would just be another month in the calendar. We have a sin problem, church, and Jesus is the answer. And that is what we celebrate every single day, not just the month of December, not just on the 25th, every day that the Lord has sent Jesus to die for our sins because he loved us. This is why we celebrate his birth. So I want to take some time this morning as we round out our time together and just pray. Thanks to God in worship. Thanks to God for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Let's take some time to do that now in prayer. Father, Jesus, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for what you did for us on the cross, Father, that you went willingly to the cross for us, that you came down from your throne, that you walked the earth perfect. You did, Father, what we could never do. You walked this earth perfect and sinless, and you took on our sin, Father. And we are reminded of that every single day. Jesus, we were reminded of that through your gospel, what you did for us. So, Lord, I just pray now that if there's anyone in this room who does not know you, who has not put their faith in you, who has not seen their own deadness, Father, let today be the day. Let today be the day that they see their own sin, their own deadness, that they hear your truth, that the wages of sin is death, and that they need to be rescued, and that they would see and hear through your gospel that you are the rescuer, Jesus, that you were sent to rescue us. That this month that we celebrate your birth is not just a season and a holiday that we get off work and that we get together with family, but it's, it's got a purpose behind it, Lord. Let us all see that we celebrate because the Savior has been born. He has come. He has come to deliver us. That he has come to defeat sin and death forever. Father, we just pray that, the, that you lay that on the hearts of everyone in this room, everyone in this county, everyone in this state, everyone in the world. That the reason we celebrate you is because we have a need for you, Lord. We need you. We are dead without you, and you have come. We place our faith in you. We place our faith in the gospel, Lord, and we praise you. We praise you for what you've done on the cross, Jesus. We worship you. You are holy, 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 Lord. You are God Almighty. You who knew no sin took on our sin and made us righteous, and we praise you and worship you for that. So, Father, we just pray that you put that on our heart this week, that we share that gospel with others around us who do not know you, Lord, and that we worship you this season for the right reason that we worship this season for the right reason. That you are the Lord. That you laid down your life for ours. That you are holy and we love you. We continue to worship you for that, Lord. And we love you, Jesus, and it's your name we pray all these things.